the Super Bowl is infamous for its advertisements, right? The half billion dollars spent to get the messages to you. Sometimes they're political messages and cultural messages, but often products, right? Products. Um, every store you walk into, if you go into the mall, um, every store hopes to separate you from your money by selling you the next best thing as quickly as possible so they can get that off the shelves so they can sell you the next best thing, right? Uh, that new car, the new product, the new system is going to change your life. Well, apart from my uh, new steel chainsaw, um, <laughs> what products have really changed my life, right? But seriously, the main attractions in America are shopping and sex. Uh, and the two are combined back and forth in some very sinister ways. Um, they use sex to sell merchandise, right? To make you feel young and attractive and powerful. Well, that's obvious. They've been doing that for years. And of course, then there's the, the sex trade, right? V both virtual and physical, promising cures for the lonely, uh, for the un feeling unwanted, feeling bored. Your new life, you know, your, your life can be brand new for a price. Of course, uh, many of you understand uh, almost intuitively, maybe you don't even have to be told, but sin takes you further than you wanted to go. It keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and it costs you far more than you wanted to pay. That sin, that selfish, independent nature has a mind of its own, we might say. But the, the conversation takes on a different tone when the stakes are high and the people are are as broken as the people we see nowadays. Do you, do you sense the brokenness? Do you feel it around you in people's lives? Do you sense the aching need to patch ourselves back together, to, to feel life and feel new? But if the blind are leading the blind, won't they both fall into the pit? Yeah, what, what we're watching culturally is a cave-in, a, a landslide. And the only kind thing to do in a situation like that is to warn those that are about to fall in to get clear of the destruction. You, you, there's, there's something cataclysmic happening. You need an announcement. You need a warning. That's actually a kind thing to do. So in our passage today, we're, we're looking at the urgent news. What is this urgent news that... Paul is preaching in, in the second half of this sermon in a synagogue, right? A synagogue of Jews with God-fearers present, those who are from the Gentile world, but, um, but looking in and respecting Yahweh, the creator God, and, and but being around the edges. So the urgent news that Paul is preaching is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Get a hold of that. His physical human body is out of the grave and he's forgiving sins, restoring lives, reconciling them to the Father. Right? It wasn't just Jesus died and his spirit rose and is now, you know, in the other space or something like that. No, bodily, he rose. He's forgiving sins, restoring lives, reconciling them to the Father. New creation is springing out, coming out of the grave, and you need to get a hold of it. This is the news. The, the new thing right? You, you can't avoid the implications of this new thing. You might say, some of you might say this, well, can't we just go on being good, faithful people in the synagogue, good, faithful Jews, right? While ignoring what went on with Jesus, can't we, 
Can we ignore that bit about the resurrected Messiah and just move on? Well, surely they might think we could keep our status with, as the people of God, regardless of what was going on with this Galilean backwater preacher, this miracle worker who claimed to be bringing God's kingdom and was crucified instead. Well, actually, the crucifixion wasn't the end. And in fact, it was part of the plan. For the Jews and God-fearers in the synagogue of the first century, this is a pivotal moment in history. Trust in the old ways makes sense unless God is doing a new thing. In the old way, the Jews were part of the covenant by being born into the family of God. And they stayed within the boundaries of the community of Israel, right? Worship Yahweh alone. Stay within the boundaries, the food laws, circumcision, festivals, temple worship. And that keeps you in this community, the, the rescued, chosen community. But Jesus has left the temple. The glory of God has departed the temple precincts. And while Israel is the mother of the Messianic movement, the new birth of the Son means a new covenant and allegiance to the risen Lord, the temple space of God himself, Jesus the Christ. So to stay loyal to God the Father, you swear allegiance to the Son. So no, you can't stay in the old way if God is doing a new thing. And since you all want new life, you all want a life that is headed in the correct direction. Let's look to scripture. Acts chapter 13, verses 26 through 43 is what we'll focus on today. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, this rescue. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Jesus. And they found in Jesus no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that's the cross, and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These people are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he is spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. 
But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Uh, The the conference for this little quote here at the end is uh, from Habakkuk and, and Isaiah. It's not one of thrill and joy. Oh, yay, new stuff. This is the bad news. The landslide. Destruction is coming and you don't want to be anywhere near it. You scoffers, astound, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. A major reversal. Right, A brand new thing that shifts your perspective. This is Paul's urgent message. It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to fall, to continue in the grace of God. This is an interesting passage. M- many of you are not Jewish background, um, and you're, you're not necessarily making a decision between the old covenant and the new but i but i want to pull out a couple terms that keep showing up in here uh, and and one bible study method a pro tip would be when a term is repeated multiple times the the author is intending to get that out to you and so two terms that stand out by their repetition are corruption and resurrection This word corruption in the Bible has the odor of death and decay and the look and feel of a deep, dark pit. Over and over, it's used to evoke the tragedy of those who were not rescued by Yahweh in in their difficult time in in death or in in the, the perils of war, but handed over to the evil forces and destruction. You can almost see the fumes rising from the corruption, this pit. Many of you remember the pit you were in. Many of you are in a pit, I'll say that, of course, but but many of you remember the pit you were in before being rescued by Jesus, before he picks you up and sets you in a firm place. Because resurrection, the other term in the phrase raised up, means God has interrupted the normal process, has shown favor. And he's rescued Jesus from the pit. Now, this isn't the claim that God favored Jesus. And so, like I said before, his soul rose, you know, to to be with God in his presence in heaven. No, it, it was very physical. The natural processes of decay, corruption, were reversed in that lonely tomb after his bloody execution. Jesus's body regenerated and became even more human. His body took on the qualities of what humans were meant to become like. He was transhuman. He was beyond human. The eyewitnesses claimed that he taught and ate 
and drank with them. Jesus would touch their wounds. He enjoyed laughter and feasting. He, the disciples got genuinely spooked when he would also walk through walls and would disappear as needed. He was beyond human, but he was very much human. And so with corruption and resurrection, we're looking at eternal life or eternal decay. Can I speak frankly with you? Eternal life has the opposite of eternal decay. This life is not all that there is. It's not just a circle you fill in. A dot on the line. Here's my life. It's just a little dot on the timeline, right? No, it's not that way. Each one of us, our, our lives represent a dot and a line. And you're on one track or the other. This is a kindness to you. And I want you to consider your life. Eternal life is lived with God our Father now by the Spirit in anticipation of the fullness of new creation that Jesus started in the grave, but that will happen fully when the Son returns. Eternal decay starts with the seed of sin, that selfish, independent nature. And it grows to corrupt not only our own lives, but other lives as well. The direction is reversed, not becoming more human, but less human. The destiny of those who live in decay is the pit until that process is interrupted by resurrection. If the decay is allowed to continue, corruption of self leaks out. Okay, so your story has to intersect with Jesus' story so that you can be raised with him, so that you can have eternal life instead of this pathway that, that we are default on, which is the de eternal decay. That needs to be interrupted. And that's what happened in Jesus' life, and that's the life he intends to offer each one of us. But let's just call out the huge lie in our culture that my sin doesn't affect others. You know, as long as you just do no harm. Well, that's the witch's creed. That's the warlock's creed, not the Christian's creed. Do no harm. You know, I'm only hurting myself. I want you to think about your life, some of your habits, maybe the ones that have just exploded in the last couple of years. I'm only destroying myself. Really? The thought is that my sin has been encapsulated in my own life. And it doesn't leak out. That's fine. It's like Hanford nuclear waste. It's, it's, in, it's in tight little containers. Nothing will ever leak out. Sure, it's a problem for me, but it doesn't affect others. Right? My private bitterness, I'm pretty sure it's kept to myself. You know, My jealousy, my lust, my substance use, my internal rage, my gluttony, my greed... My self-destruction, it doesn't affect other people. Yeah, I'm just destroying myself. Don't, no worries, Pastor. Ha, really, really. That is garbage. Can I say that kindly to you? That is garbage. Your inward turn toward decay does affect others. Absolutely. Think of someone you've loved who was only harming themselves. It was like watching a train wreck. Sometimes 
Uh, it took years for these people to destroy themselves through addiction and, and other things. And others, it ended very quickly. But I'm only harming myself. It was just, you know, suicide. A long suicide or a short one. You know, no big deal. Nobody's affected by that. Hardly the case. That is garbage. But you protest. Well, what if I live alone? You know, I mean, I'm just all by myself. So, oh, you stumped me on that one. So, yeah, what am I... You know, or, you know, what if I was to move to an island and by myself and carried out my experiments of self-destruction there, right? Maybe choose one of those islands where they carried out the nuclear tests and just carry on the experiments to, to destroy myself. <laughs> well, what right do you think you have to destroy property that isn't yours? Well, I'm my own. I, I have my own life. I make my own decisions. Oh, really? You do have a creator, right? He created you on purpose, right? No, on purpose, for a purpose, yes? Did he set you on the course of self-destruction? No, I think not. You are vandalizing God's property. I'm sure you could take this as a preacher being pesky and prudish and, and moralizing, but please don't believe that lie. God created you, particularly you, for a beautiful purpose. And for those in Christ, it's becoming more and more clear what that purpose is. Life that is truly life. Not on the line of eternal decay, but the, but the line of eternal life. Oh, a warning is a kind thing when your house is ready to slide into the pit. There was a beautiful line in what I read earlier from Acts 13. And Paul kind of snuck into the gospel message about King David. This, this, uh, this figure in, in the Old Testament and in Israel's history who was a man after God's own heart. It said, after, after David had served the purpose of God in his own generation, you know, he died and his body did the decay thing, but he awaits the resurrection. Uh, one of the implications of this new creation, as opposed to the corruption, is this. Uh, here's number one. In my generation, I can serve God's purposes. Say it, say it with me. In my generation, I can serve God's purposes. So, some of you know that work site theft is a big problem. God's doing a construction project right now. <laughs> He's doing a project and you are stealing his resources. He's rebuilding his people and we dare not steal his supplies and sabotage his plans. So number one, new creation implication is that in my generation, I can serve God's purposes. I'm not going to sabotage that work. The second implication is that I am in the world, but not of this world. Say it with me. I am in the world, but I'm not of this world. In John 17, 14 through 15, Jesus in a prayer to the Father says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, and I think we could say who is the God of this world. The evil one wants to ruin your hope, to vandalize your soul, 
to corrupt the purposes of God for you. That's what he desires. And sometimes we are willing participants in the vandalism of our own souls, aren't we? His schemes for your life and influence come from the pit and belong there. So we need to identify those thoughts, take them captive, and send them back to the pit from whence they have come. Number three implication. In Christ, I'm part of new creation now. Say that with me. In Christ, I am part of new creation now. Paul would write to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is not a time to self-destruct. We have died to this world's systems and have come back to life that is truly life. He's building the new you. New creation. It's part of what we pray uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. These pockets of renewal. We are colonizing earth for heaven. The little colonies of heaven as we live life together. We're living that new creation colony here on earth. So I want you to ask yourself this. What's going to be true when heaven comes down that I can be about today? If you've read the end of the book, the end of the Bible, you see that the heaven comes down, new heaven, new earth. Not necessarily all new things, but all things new. It comes down and he, he will live with us and, and restore creation. What's going to be true when heaven comes down that I can be about today. There's no male or female hierarchy in heaven, right? There's no rich or poor. There's no racial discrimination. All these ethnicities will be celebrated around the throne. And if we don't start now being part of new creation, I think it's going to be really embarrassing when we finally see Jesus. Those first few minutes in new creation will be really awkward when we start to see other people the way Jesus sees them last becoming first and all that oh i've been keeping you aside but jesus celebrates you wow that's amazing number fourth implication is that i am focused on the return of christ can you say that with me i am focused on the return of christ philippians 3 17 this is a letter that paul wrote to the church in philippi it says brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who have walked according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you again, even with tears, many of these walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
So that's a fourth implication, a focus on the return of Christ, that my trajectory is headed toward new creation, and I'm awaiting a Savior from there. Number five, this would be my last. I am investing in new creation. I am investing in new creation. What's going to be true in the new creation when heaven comes to earth completely and God makes his home with us again? Well, we're going to have treasures in the heavenly realm. We'll store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. We know this, right? Some of us have been watching the stock market with keen interest because our treasure is there, right? So I want to ask you this question. Are you investing in the dot or in the line? Randy Alcorn says that money and things have mass. And mass exerts gravity. And gravity holds us in orbit. So have you sent your treasures ahead? So then you start moving toward your treasures? Or have you invested in just this circle, just this life, just right now, and so all your investment is here, and it'll be a great loss if you lose it? Are you moving toward your treasures because you've placed them ahead in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> or are you moving away from them because they're all stuck right here? you got to think about that. So I've given you five implications to think about. Five things about this new creation that, that we can ponder and put into your soul. But I just want you to take a minute, pause this sermon, and ask the Spirit to point out areas of decay from your selfish, independent nature. Just say, God, would you point out these areas of decay where I am on that line? And then repent of them. Turn around and say, no, I do not want to pursue that. I actually want to pursue the kingdom of God. Ask God to point out where you've invested foolishly uh, with only this life in mind. Turn to him and offer your allegiance to Jesus in anticipation of the newness he can bring to your life now and the new creation that's coming.